From Pacifico Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihe Razazan. The Kurdistan region in Iran has been the epicenter of the anti-government protests. In the past few days, the Iranian regime's security forces have intensified their deadly crackdown on the region. As of November 22nd, according to information obtained by Iran Human Rights, at least 416 people, including 51 children, have been killed by security forces in the nationwide protests. In the last week alone, 56 people were killed in Kurdish areas. This week, we continue our coverage of the historic anti-government uprising in Iran by bringing you the second part of Shahram Aghamir's conversation with Dr. Kave Abbasian about the student movement in Iran. Shahram Aghamir started the interview by asking Dr. Abbasian about the ongoing deadly military attack on Kurdish cities in Iran. Dr. Kave Abbasian is a former student activist, a filmmaker, researcher, and a lecturer in film and media practice at the University of Kent in Britain. During the past week, there has been a major invasion of these Kurdish-majority cities from various provinces, which has resulted in bloodshed and death of more than 40 people from these cities. This has been the case for many years, of course, the oppression and suppression of Kurdistan since the 1979 revolution and when Kurdistan became a bastion of freedom, bastion of those demands after those revolutionary demands, and then the invasion of the central forces of the Islamic Republic, and then the resistance of the Kurdish people, and then the continuous resistance and bloodshed throughout the 1980s. But since the beginning of this revolutionary movement on that funeral of Jina Amini in the Kurdish city of Saqqaz, this has gained new momentum. Kurdish people have proved to be able to lead this revolution. The slogan of this revolution, Woman, Life, Freedom, comes from Kurdistan, started for the first time in Iran during that funeral, although it has its roots in previous Kurdish feminist movements in various parts of Kurdistan, the larger Kurdistan. But in this time and in this round of revolutionary movement, Kurdistan has acted as a beacon of revolutionary struggle and revolutionary politics. So it's not just the slogan and not just the beginning of the revolution, but throughout these longer than two months, various Kurdish majority cities, Kurdish schools, high schools and middle schools, and Kurdish universities have shown fierce resistance and revolutionary potential and revolutionary struggle and managed to give hope to the rest of Iran. So when Tehran was quiet for a few days, when Isfahan and Yazd had not come into the streets, it was the Kurdish cities and the Kurdish universities and youth who kept the flag of their current revolutionary movement standing. So as a result of that, during the past week, few cities which had shown even more resistance, cities such as Mahabad, Saqqaz, Bukan, Piran Shah, and Juanrud have been invaded by the forces of the Revolutionary Guards and by plainclothes forces and some local forces as well. And in these cities, people barricaded uh, the streets and tried to 
keep the streets and defend the streets and their neighborhoods. But with stones and sticks, you can do so much. On the other hand, the invading forces of the regime had machine guns, had Kalashnikovs, had Dushkas, the heavy machine guns and pickup trucks. And they had chemical gases in some cases, which had been used, if I'm correct, in Piran Shahr and Juanrud and invaded the city in full force. And they have killed many people in those cities. Despite the killing, people in those cities and other cities across Iran and across Kurdistan have shown their support. And we are going to face another few days of general strike and public outcry in defense of Kurdistan, starting from 24th of November. Kaveh, let's shift gears and continue our conversation about student activism in Iran. The Iranian regime has been implementing a stringent screening process since the 1980 purge in universities to ensure the loyalty of the hired faculty. What do we know about actions by the faculty and staff in solidarity with the students in the current protest? Yes, that is a good question because so much has happened, especially compared to the previous years and previous waves of student movements, the faculty members and lecturers and anyone who works at universities have shown a different level of solidarity. As you mentioned, nowadays, and as a result of historical crackdown on the faculties and students uh, and universities, so many of the lecturers and faculty members who managed to find jobs inside universities have already gone through so many filters that it is quite unlikely that you find dissidents among them. There are so many of them being picked and being put in certain universities and campuses to follow the line of the supreme leader. This is much more evident in arts and humanities, especially in the humanities, you know, sociology, economy, philosophy, and those kinds of divisions and those departments, but less in, let's say, sciences and engineering. But still, anyone finding a position inside university, inside Iran, has to go through various filters. Even before getting to go through those various filters, there are so many students, dissidents, denied the right to continue their studies. For example, myself and many of my friends, after finishing our BAs, our degrees, we were banned from continuing to the master's level because of our political activism. So people like us wouldn't have even the chance to get to a level in which they can start applying for academic positions. And even then, before us, even there are so many students who don't even find the right to get into the universities, let alone continuing even for a degree. For example, the Baha'i students, they're denied the right to get into the universities. You are basically supposed to, when you're applying for universities, to include your religion in the application. And if what you put there is not according to what the state desires, you will be banned from getting into universities. And as a result of this, people who get to that final stage of applying for academic positions, uh, they're already gone through these sort of barriers before even getting through the filters. Even with these in mind, there are hundreds of lecturers and faculty members coming out in support of the students. Several petitions and open letters have been released and signed with up to 600 faculty members' signatures. Uh, at least for one of them. I do not remember anything like that from the time I was a student activist. This is one because, of course, the different types of lectures getting into universities nowadays. It's not just because these are better lectures and more political than before, but also because a revolutionary movement changes so many things in a matter of a few days. 
that so many people get surprised. I mean, I myself was surprised to see this level of support from the faculty members. And it wasn't just petitions and, and open letters. For example, that invasion of the Sharif University campus in Tehran, so many faculty members stayed on campus, tried to defend the students. Some of them got beaten and some of them tried to get students into their cars in order to get them out of the campus while the security forces had besieged the campus. For example, in another university in Kurdistan, in Sanandaj, there was a fear that students were going to get invaded and picked up from their university dorms and accommodations. Some of the faculty members went along with the students to stay in the dorms with them, so that with the fear of the faculty members being in the dorms and being in the accommodation, the security forces wouldn't attack those accommodations. I remember very minor events like this in my own time. I remember once we were besieged inside the campus of the University of Tehran, and I was trying to get outside that university, and I was one of the people who was being chased. And I tried to change my clothing, but then one of the lecturers offered that I could get into their car and they would get me out of the campus. And that is what I did. I just laid down and they took me out and they took me to a few streets further and I could get out of the car and just go about my way. That day, at least that saved me from getting arrested. But that was rare. That was quite a um, unique moment. I cannot mention other such events. And I can definitely not mention any petition with 600 names of faculty members in support of the students. So what has been the regime's reaction to the unrest on university campuses? And how does that compare with its past record in responding to similar protests? We know of uh, students being arrested and they're being banned from entering the campus. Mm -hmm. Why don't you uh, share with us what you know of the punitive measures and retaliations. I mean, so far I've already mentioned some of the things the state did, and this is in line with how they have behaved in previous years. And even because of the continuity and longevity of the current wave of student movement, and because of its connection with the other movements taking place in other parts of the cities and other parts of the country, the crackdown has been heavier as well. There are hundreds of students now in jail, there are hundreds of students now in uh, hiding. There are a few names that we know of the students who were killed during the student protest. But there are also so many people who have died in the streets who are also students. And this is the shouldn't be forgotten that the students who have been killed during this wave of protest aren't only the ones who were killed during the student protest, but because students also get involved in the protests taking place in the cities and in the streets as well. One of the things that people might wonder why it hasn't happened this time is that, for example, one of the most famous crackdown on student movement happened in 1999, and that was the invasion of the Kuyadanishka, the student dorms, the main student accommodation in Tehran, which at the time housed more than 10,000 students, if I'm correct, because I lived there myself. And that was in the student dorms of the University of Tehran in Amirabad. They got there, they beat so many students, they killed at least one student, but there are also a number of other students who have disappeared since. And similar thing happened in 2009 during the Green Movement. Again, an invasion of the student accommodation, the main, the Kuidanishka student accommodation. Horrible videos were released of how they rounded up students and started beating them while they were hand-tied on the ground. And these are the videos that they released themselves in order to scare the public. But this time around, at least we didn't see anything like that from the Kuidanishka. I mean, they used it to show that they have improved and the 
they behave better. But the fact is that the Islamic Republic during the past 10 years has ran a, a systematic campaign of depoliticizing this hub of student activism. And that was the Kuwait Anishka. So they went through so many things, for example, by preventing graduate degree students, BA students, from to getting to those dorms, reducing the number of students living in that campus. For example, I remember at our time, every room could accommodate up to four students. From what I hear during the past 10 years, they started to gradually devoid the university from certain fields, certain type of university students who would politicize the environment. They would also reduce the number of students per room. They would also allow only masters and postgraduate students from getting to those student dorms in a way spreading the population of the students of the University of Tehran into tens of standalone buildings across the city. And you know, when you do this to students, put this many hundred students in this building in this part of the city, you are kind of dispersing thousands of students who could, when in one place, they can behave like a movement, like an independent being. And as a result of that, we haven't really seen much resistance coming from there. At my time and the years before, Anything that would happen in the student movement, Kuidanshka, this accommodation, would have been the main hub of resistance. But apart from the first couple of weeks, this main student accommodation of Tehran didn't show that much resistance. It was good. There were students out protesting, and that kind of gave me a lot of hope to see that even with the campaign of depoliticization, students are still political about what they see taking place in their country. But it's important to note this, that this part of the students' movement, at least for now, has been dispersed into other parts of the city. But what they couldn't understand is that by dispersing the number of students across the city, you're also dispersing and creating islands of resistance and islands of struggle across the city. And that's why nowadays we see that instead of just one location or two locations around the Revolution Street, the Medun and Galab, center Tehran, we are seeing so many various hubs of resistance across the city of Tehran. And accordingly, the security forces behave viciously in those parts as well. We see that, for example, anywhere there is student accommodation or anywhere there is a student campus, there is resistance. In Mazandaran province, for example, the city of Babol, in that city, the Nushirvani University is in the middle of the city, unlike so many other universities in which the campus is outside the city. And that university for two months has been a barricade of the current student movement. So many students have disappeared because of the crackdown. So many of them are arrested. And so many of them have been attacked and invaded inside their living spaces and also inside the university campuses. And this is something that we are seeing across Iran. But at the same time, students are showing resilience and resistance by creatively opposing the security forces. Well, this idea of reducing the number of students in dormitories is sort of based on this notion that you prevent formation of a critical mass in case of a demonstration or protest. That was the assumption. But as you said, it might have backfired. In a speech on June 28, Ayatollah Khamenei alluded to the 1980s. He said God in the year 2022 is the same God as he was in 1981. Quite a statement. Uh, Let's revisit that decade and see what the self-proclaimed emissaries of God were doing to the universities 
back then. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote Islamic Cultural Revolution that spanned between 1980 and 1987 began when arm gangs attacked three university campuses on April 18, 1980. This is how Iranian scholar Professor Shahzad Mujab explains the reason for those attacks. And this is from her writing. While the government was increasingly using its administrative power to rule over the campuses, students continued to resist. As a result, a situation of dual power emerged. Students were in control of the classroom, the physical space, and campus politics. The state was the owner and administrator at the top. The Islamic regime did not tolerate this state of dual power. Kaveh, can you elaborate on this balance of power and tell us what happened during these attacks? After the 1979 revolution, the universities, as they are called, became and remained bastions of resistance and bastions of freedom, Sangera Azadi, as they called them. I recently made a film, a documentary, which includes at least one chapter about these days and these events. Khomeini went on and described universities as being more dangerous than cluster bombs. The universities create this threat for us to be dependent upon America or the Soviet Union. And they said that we want universities to be for us and work for us. And as a result of this day, a countrywide wave of crackdown on universities started. I mean, universities had become this hub of resistance towards what the revolution was turning into, which was essentially an Islamic dictatorship, a theocracy. And so Khomeini's side of the revolution, if, if you like, called for a cultural revolution. And this so-called cultural revolution started in 1980 by an invasion of several university campuses by literal murder of resisting students on campuses. I mean, the numbers are varied and we don't really have the numbers, but 38 students killed has been one of the numbers that keeps being mentioned. And hundreds, more than 300 students being injured as well. Eventually, this resulted in a three-year-long complete shutdown of universities. Let's not forget that it was these killing and these invasions wasn't just for the first year. On the anniversaries of the invasion of universities, there were protests taking place across parts of several cities, such as, for example, in Tehran. And during those anniversaries, the security forces would also attack the protesters and they would kill some of those protesters as well. And they would use these three years of so-called cultural revolution to completely so-called Islamize the universities and Islamize the curriculum by sacking so many of the brightest lectures of the time who belonged to more secular and left-wing political ideas and also students. And let's not forget that it wasn't just sacking these people and preventing students from further studies. So many of these students, because they were political, would then get arrested and get executed inside the jails. So many of them would have to leave the country and start a life in political exile. Often when we talk about the Contra Revolution, we talk about the Islamization of the curriculum and we forget to talk about what happened to those students and faculty members who were denied the opportunity and their right to continue with their academic life. And that's resulted 
in years of political silence, essentially, when the universities opened in 1983, it was in the middle of the war between Iran and Iraq. The war started in 1980 all up until 1988. And then during the war, the Islamic Republic used the opportunity and the excuse of the war to strengthen its grip on the society and increase the oppression of the, its political opponents in order to solidify its power, essentially. And you know that in 1988, the mass execution of political prisoners happened inside various prisons across the country. We don't really know what the real number is, but at least there are 5,400 names that we have, let alone the ones that were never mentioned anywhere. And then as a result of this, we have at least 10 years of political, essentially, silence from the students and from the from the universities. And this is the 1980s that Khamenei was referring to and saying that this God is still the God of the 1980s and referring to how they can still continue. In my opinion, that's a direct threat to anyone raising their voice and anyone trying to aim for a political change in the society. And that's the threat of murder. That's the threat of mass execution and mass killing of protesters. On that infamous day, April 18, 1980, when armed gangs attack university campuses, Ayatollah Khamenei, the current supreme leader, was actually conducting the Friday prayer sermon. Mm. In his sermon, he ordered a holy war, jihad against the students that day. After that, the actual invasion of campuses started. As you said, the prelude to that was Ayatollah Khamenei's rhetoric about the universities and how they should be tamed. The repression during this period, 1980 to 87, was so extensive that the student body for the first time since 1941, as you said, turned apolitical. A student movement that has eight decades of struggles for democracy and social justice in the country. Moving on, we should mention that while non-loyal students and faculty were purged upon the opening of the universities, as you mentioned, the regime also introduced a quota policy that would allow the admission of applicants devoted to the Islamic regime to create a safe social base for the regime on university campuses and would also provide an important material incentive to its supporters. Can you talk about the impact of this policy on college campuses in Iran? One of the ways Islamic Republic started to bring this policy in was to give quota to children of the so-called martyrs. They referred to the Iranian fighters who were killed during the Iran-Iraq war as martyrs. And then there are some civilians who were killed during the Iran-Iraq war also, I mean, depending on how their family behaves. They can also get accreditation as martyrs, in which case they will be considered families of martyrs, in which case they will get some sort of state support, one of which is this quota for children of the martyrs getting into the universities. So basically, the assumption was that these children of the martyrs are going to be supporters of the state because their father was essentially mostly decided to fight in that war. And this was, to an extent, true in regard to some of these children of the martyrs getting into universities with a quota. When we say with a quota, it means that 
even though Iran universities function on an annual entry exam, which is national, and everyone should take it. And then you need to get a good ranking in order to get into good universities, basically. But these people who were supported by certain quotas could get much worse rankings and yet get into much better universities. And by doing that, the state basically aimed to fill top universities of Iran and essentially any university all with their own supporters. Maybe, you know, in those early days, this functioned the way they intended it, because during the 80s, the Islamic Republic had managed to consolidate its power by this sort of revolutionary rhetoric and by bringing some sections of the society along with its revolutionary Islamic rhetoric, which created these families and these certain sections of the population who were supportive of the Islamic Republic. And those children getting into university would be supportive as well. And you could find many of these people, not necessarily children of the Martyrs, but anyone with these quotas joining the already the pre-existing student organizations on campus. So one of these was the Basijadanistri, the paramilitary branch of the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, which had a branch inside universities. And these were essentially militias with a branch inside the universities. And these, you could find many of these, the wounded in the war, for example, who would be supported by some sort of quota or children of the martyrs, and then other sorts of quotas, people who serve in the militia, let's say. They would get inside university and become members of these pre-existing organizations in university. And these pre-existing organizations, during the upheavals, they would function as the extended arm of the security force inside university. So they would literally attack students with stones and with sticks and with just generally try to create a counter demonstration, which is something that you see nowadays inside Iranian universities as well. In the first few weeks of the current wave of revolutionary movement, when students started gathering in their thousands, these organizations also started gathering in their tens, in their few tens. For example, do you remember when students of the Sharif University decided to get rid of the segregation inside their canteen? These Islamists inside these universities barricaded the entrance of the canteen for students not to get in. But their numbers don't really stand the test of these students in their hundreds and in their thousands. And obviously they couldn't succeed and they had to give way. And as you see, as weeks go by, there's no news of them anymore. And another thing is that because they were always in the minority in the student movement, they always brought members of these paramilitary and militia in plain clothes from outside the universities. And that's why uh, one of the slogans of the current student movement is that which means you lying <laughs> member of the militia, where is your student card? Prove that you are a student. You are not a student. They have always been in the minority. And because of that, they bring people from outside in order to create these counter demonstrations and essentially suppress the student protest. And this is evident in scenes of these members of militia inside the university campuses, pretending to be students, but having guns, having tear gas guns and shooting at protesters. And people are like, are you students? What are you doing with that gun in your hand? Then? So yes, these quarters tried to fill in universities with supporters of the regime, but they were always in the minority. But there's another thing also, there's so many children of these martyrs nowadays. First of all, the, so many of them are beyond university age now. So Islamic Republic tries to create new martyrs, obviously, as you know, in 
Syria and other places, and also declaring this and that person a martyr who died in Iran during crackdown on protests, who get killed during the violent clashes that they created themselves. So they create new martyrs to create new martyrs' families to fill up this quota with new people. But the thing is that so many of the children of the martyrs of the Iran-Iraq war are now actually against the rhetoric and the politics of the Islamic Republic. So many of them have come out openly talking against the restrictive policies of the Islamic Republic, including the compulsory hijab, which is one of the things the Islamic Republic claims those fighters in the 1980s fought for, to keep the hijab on the heads of Iranian women, which these children are like, no, my father didn't fight really for that. Leave us alone. It sometimes can be a bit complicated to talk about these quotas because they work in different ways. Mm. But what's clear is that the majority of the students, even with the quotas, are supporting the current wave of student movement. And that's Dr. Kava Abbasian speaking with Shahram Agamir about the student movement in Iran. We will hear more after a short break. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. just talking about how university students try to overcome gender segregation that has been imposed on the university campuses. And the Cultural Revolution intended to Islamize institutions of higher education, as you mentioned, their Mm -hmm. academic curricula and enforce gender segregation like other public spaces and Mm -hmm. produce Islamic man and Islamic woman, quote unquote. They managed to purge a large number of students and faculty, when the um, universities reopened after three years, the number of students had shrunk by a third, while the number of faculty was halved compared to the mm-hmm. period preceding the Islamic Cultural Revolution. So that tells you the extent of uh, the purge. So given that, it seems like these symbols such as segregation in a cafeteria space are detrimental to these regime loyalists. This is the only thing they have left. The dominant discourse in the university is anti-establishment. They're clinging on to these purely symbolic things that they can show this is an Islamic community, this is an Islamist state. Yeah, true. But these symbolic acts are now as important as keeping the streets in the hands of the people nowadays. Because first of all, Iranian literature and Iranian history and general Iranian art is very much symbols oriented because of years of tyranny. I mean, even before the 1979, Iran has been gripped with tyrannical despotic rule. And because of that, the symbols are very important in Iran. From the tulip or the red rose, all the way to the symbol of pigeon, and nowadays even symbols such as a canteen, which might come across as silly. Students want to just mix their canteen with a segregated canteen that they want to mix it. But you can see how important it is by the way 
the supporters of the regime behave about it. There were about 10, 20 of them tried to barricade the entrance of that canteen against the march of the students who wanted to desegregate it. They couldn't. But then what did they do afterwards? They went to the grave of the so-called martyrs of the war. The Islamic Republic does this to campuses. And we fought against this as well. They bring some bones from somewhere and they say these are unknown martyrs of the war. And then they bury them there and then they create these centers of ideological gathering for their own forces inside universities. So these people who couldn't prevent the desegregation of a canteen went on top of one of these so-called martyrs graves and started crying. And there's a photo of them crying as if all martyrs, we couldn't really protect what you fought for and what you died for. We, the canteen is now desegregated. What do we do now? Which is which looks extremely silly. But the Islamic Republic is a political force that is, of course, based on the blood and tears of so many people and mothers and people who've suffered, but also on destroying on symbols that are against it and creating its own symbols. And one of the things that the student student movement is doing these days is changing those symbols. It is an area of contestation between an authoritarian regime and ordinary citizens that want to reclaim the right to life. And it is absurd because as some people have pointed out, many have pointed out, this sort of gender segregation does not exist in a restaurant, for instance, right? Or a cafe. As you said, it's a regime that thrives on symbols and symbolism. Kavel, after the 1999 student unrest, was violently quelled by the regime and subsequent failure of the reformist strategy. Downward trend for Islamism in Iran continued together with an erosion of the reformist base of support among university students. Parallel with these developments, we had the emergence of leftist tendencies on Iran's university campuses nearly two decades after the bloody crackdown of 1980. There were three different leftist tendencies among the students' activists in the 2000s, as I understand it. In addition to their on-campus activism, these leftist students tried to build solidarity networks with the subaltern in the society, women, workers, teachers, with the slogan read, jobs and freedom. What can you tell us about the student activism on and off university campuses? And what are the lessons to be learned with respect to their achievements and their shortcomings? That's a very good question because it kind of gives me the possibility to go through a student activism in which I was involved personally. When I was in Iran, I was a student, film student. I started university in 2002. I went to the University of the Arts in Tehran and then immediately I got involved in student activism. But when I entered university in 2002, still the student movement was in the grip of the reformist movement. The reformist movement as a wing of the political establishment had its means to be influential inside the student movement. And these means were the the Islamic associations of students inside the universities and the buru for strengthening of the unity inside universities. And these establishments had students members and were very influential and active parts of the student movement at the time. And they were all influenced by reformist ideals and demands and goals. And that's what they advanced inside the student movement. But what happened in 1999 and the failure of the reformists in supporting and and progressing the demands and actually managing to do anything 
for the people and for the student movement was that students' body as a whole, to a large degree, kind of went beyond reformist politics. So it's even if students' leaders at the time were still kind of reformists, but the student body to a large degree had lost hope in reformist politicians. And this was clear in, I think it was at the beginning of the summer of 2003, towards the end of the academic year, this gap between the student movement and the reformers was clear in the protests of the 2003. This was a protest that started as a result of um, large-scale neoliberalization, commodification, and privatization of the higher education in Iran. So basically, what in, in Iran was called khususi sazi. So students in that in that year, towards the end of the academic year, started small-scale protests and sit-ins inside universities, mainly in, inside the University of Tehran and various uh, university campuses in Tehran, against privatization of the higher education. These sit-ins and these demonstrations immediately were crushed and faced the iron fist of the state. As a result, again, as I was mentioning in previously last week, the Kuyadanishka, the main student dorm of the Tehran University, showed a resistance. And I was involved in what was happening in those days. So it became immediately a clash in the cities between students and in some cases people, the civilians who supported and tried to defend student campuses and student dorms in, on one side and goons and thugs of the Islamic Republic and the security forces and the, and the revolutionary guards and the riot guards on the other hand, this was about two weeks at least of clashes and some streets were taken by the student. I remember the student dorm of Tehran University was entirely, had become an independent island of students in which we had our own hospitals. In some cases, uh, there were even some captured plainclothes and captured thugs who had been kept inside the university campuses in order to be able to exchange them with students who were arrested. And if I remember correctly, this happened to uh, among a few. Students managed to free a few of the um, arrested students by exchanging them with, with these people whom they had captured. So this was the moment when reformists had completely kind of lost the track of what was happening inside the student movement. Students went beyond what the reformists had to offer. But this was still not left-wing necessarily. You could see anti-Islamic republic, you could see feelings against the entirety of the establishment. So in a, in a sense, you could see demands for the fall of the Islamic republic and demands for a new system of governance and a new Iran, essentially. But it had not still become... Uh, let's say, a socialist or a Marxist or a left-wing politics with its exact definition. It happened in the next few years. So after this departure from reformist demands, in the next year, we gradually start seeing left-wing politics and left-wing slogans appearing inside various universities. I remember very clearly National Student Day, the Shonzdah Azar in December. We, as a bunch of students who thought of ourselves as left-wing, we prepared a few placards. One of them was a red placard with two arms bearing chain and that had broken their chains and it said freedom and equality on top of it. And this became one of the symbols of the left-wing student movement of the time. And we had a few other placards. One of them was the in defense of the nurses strike and the demands. And then another one was in defense of the strike of the petroleum workers 
and the teachers. It was quite a large national student day because so much had happened in the in the previous summer, as I, as I just mentioned. And it was also the first time that red placards and placards in defense of the working class struggle were appearing inside university campuses. And this was Tehran University campus. Later that academic year, we started publishing our own magazine. At the time, this became the first radical left-wing magazine, which was ridiculed by so many of the right and by so many of the reformists who thought of this kind of ideals as revolutionary ideals that had long been dead. So at that time, we were talking of revolution. And this magazine was called Khak or Soil. For us, it meant materialism and coming down from the skies to the ground and to see what actually the material condition of people's lives in Iraq. And this magazine continued to be published in the next years. And at that time, the left-wing students started forming around various magazines. And each one of these magazines had its own way of thinking and its own politics. Our magazine, which you might want to describe it as a kind of Marxist-Leninist magazine. And there was another one which you might want to call an anarchist magazine, such as Artash magazine, Fire. Another one, the Arman and No, for example, or the New New Ideal or New Hope, which you might want to call them as Rosa Luxemburg. But they were all left-wing. And this started to replicate in various other universities. So, for example, in the University of Isfahan, a magazine started to be published called Rahe Khaki, or the the Soil Road. It was a a magazine that took its logo from our magazine, and it followed the politics of the Khaki magazine. It was called Rahe Khaki, or Dirt Road. And then, for example, in the University of Mazandaran, another magazine appeared called Gavazna, or the Deers, which in Iranian left-wing symbolism is a symbol for the guerrillas. It refers back to the Siahkal movement of the pre-1979 revolution. And there was other magazines such as Faryad, or The Shout, or another one, Pishro, the, uh, the, the Vanguard, or Pishahang, again, the the Vanguard, and the various magazines. And each one of these magazines had people around it, people from that university or that faculty. And gradually, these various magazines started to form around certain demands inside the student movement. And the combination of these magazines were started to be called as the radical left inside the student movement. So we started collaborating among each other, and we started to forming certain demonstrations. And for example, for the first time, we brought back 8th of March International Women's Day demonstration to the University of Tehran since the crackdown in 1979, for example. For example, for the first time, again, since the 1980s, we brought back the anniversary and the demonstration for the 1st of May, the International Workers' Day. And we started demanding the freedom of clothing. So basically against compulsory hijab. We started demanding a no to capital punishment against the executions that were taking place. So these at the time were very radical. You see nowadays, these are public demands. The abolition of compulsory hijab nowadays is a public demand, but at the time it was the left-wing students who brought it back to the student movement. And other demands such as no to foreign intervention, no to foreign sanctions, no to imperialism and no to war. So it wasn't just against the Islamic Republic as a capitalist and a neoliberalizing regime inside them, but it was also making clear borders with what you might want to call the foreign imperialism as well. So these demands continue to spread inside the student movement, inside various campuses and various cities from Tabriz to Isfahan, Shiraz and Mazandaran and Kurdistan. And it was in um, 2006 
that for the first time we decided to declare our existence as a unified faction of the student movement and we called it students for freedom and equality and it was during a time of upheaval inside the student movement again it was a series of demonstrations taking place against the sacking of certain university lectures and also against the privatization of universities and also against the banning of uh, certain student associations and also against banning of certain students from further education. So there were, there were these demonstrations taking place and these demonstrations were by no means led by the reformists and for the first time these demonstrations were led to a large extent by the left wing of the student movement and because of that we released this statement. There's the title of this statement was universities are not garrisons or barracks, universities are not barracks and then we signed it as students for freedom and equality or Iran. And this became our first declaration of existence after which everything we did as a kind of a combination of students were done collectively. And there's various statements, celebration of the National Student Day and so many other things that were taking place at the time. And then eventually, as you mentioned, and as you know, the time of oppression and suppression and crackdown and the arrest of so many of our members came later in 2007. Kave, Iran's political economy has produced an increase in inequality and pauperization of the working class, as well as the middle class, expanding the ranks of the middle class poor. As a result, university students can no longer assume that they will have a middle class life after graduation. In fact, the unemployment rate among college graduates is twice that of the rest of the population. At the same time, college students are disenchanted with the idea of reforming the existing order, and instead they want to uproot it. So both objective and subjective conditions seem to be in favor of solidarity between students and subaltern classes and social groups in the society. Can you elaborate on these conditions and their implications for student activism? That's actually a very good point, because as I mentioned, the reformist section of the student movement, which had the upper hand in the 1990s and even early at the beginning of the 2000s, did not really care at all or did not feel any connection with the other social movements in the society, you know, workers movement, women's movement and the students and the other factions of the society. They solely and entirely looked above to reformist politicians, this and that, mullah, with certain demands and certain brands. And that's how they did politics at the time. With the emergence of this left-wing student movement in mid-2000s and later on, for the first time since the revolution, left-wing students started to collaborate with activists and vanguards of these other social movements, as I mentioned, we brought working class activists and leaders to give speeches inside universities for 1st of May, for example. We collaborated with various from previous generations of the feminist movement in Iran, and we would take part in their events and they would take part in our events. And we would reflect and mirror their demands inside the universities. I remember very well that the third volume of our magazine, we took it in our hands, two of us, and then we went to an underground 1st of May celebration that 
a working class association was doing in a basement somewhere. And there we met so many great figures about whom we had only heard. And then we distributed our magazine, which they loved. And then we took their magazine and we took that back into universities. And this became a web of connections among the students and the workers and women's activists. And this became the beginning of what today you see as this umbrella of social activism among different various sections of the society from the working class and other minorities and the subaltern and whatever you want to call it. Today, what you see in Iran is the amalgamation and the logical continuation of this type of politics. Students are no longer just caring about what's happening inside the university and about the, the quality of their food. For example, students in the University of Mazandaran care about the massacre in Kurdistan, in, let's say in the city of Bukhan or in the city of Sanandaj. And in order to defend their Kurdish friends, the Kurds in other cities in Isfahan, in Shiraz, in even Tabriz, they come out in the streets and they occupy their campuses. And the women's movement, again, is, is no longer only about the compulsory hijab for the women's activists, but they also care about the working class struggle in southern Iran and other parts of the country as well. And the working class, as you can see today, for example, or tomorrow, for example, there are strikes taking place in this and that city, which you might say they have nothing to do with the massacre in Kurdistan. But in order to defend the Kurds and protest the killing of the Kurds, you see people in Shiraz or in Tehran, the bazaar in Tehran shuts down. This is a logical continuation of years and decades of political oppression by the Islamic Republic, which had made so many people, various oppressed sections of the society, feel like they are part of the same struggle. And this logical continuation, conclusion, I think is the only hope we have for the success of this current revolutionary movement. As a final question, shortly after the current wave of protests started in Iran, hundreds of academics across the globe, including scholars such as Angela Davis and Judith Butler, signed a statement in support of what they termed a feminist revolution in Iran. Also, the uh, current president of Yale University issued a statement on November 9th condemning the violence perpetrated in the ongoing protests in Iran adding that he stands with all those who are courageously seeking to protect women's rights and human rights. His message is a response to a petition signed by 500 Yale faculty members addressing the uh, ongoing protests in Iran and highlighting the Iranian government's attacks on government institutions, hospitals, and the massacre in Zahedan. Can you talk about such efforts on the way in solidarity with the struggle by students and faculty in Iran's universities? And what can be done to support them? A few things happened that resulted in this large-scale support for this revolutionary movement in Iran. First of all, this revolutionary movement proved to be extremely progressive. You know, it started about women's rights, and then it continued to be about so many other things that the left wing, let's say, in the West for long has been kind of struggling for. But it appeared as a revolutionary movement as well. It wasn't just a political demand to get passed through the parliament, but these progressive demands showed themselves to be represented inside a large-scale countrywide and even region-wide revolutionary movement. So for many of the Western left who kind of dream about this sort of revolutionary moment, this became an inspiration to create that support. 
And um, student movement inside Iran showed fierce resistance and resilience in staying and being part of this revolutionary movement and also keeping the fire of the movement burning, even in those days when the streets had become empty as a result of police oppression. So the campuses stayed alive. And because of this, and the Islamic Republic security forces invaded a few of the campuses, the most famous of them is the invasion of Sharif University campus, which resulted in the bloodshed and the abduction of many of the students and their lecturers who were trying to support them. So many other campuses were invaded and so many other university students also got abducted on campuses from Nushirwani, University of Babul, to the University of Mazandaran, University of Sanandaj in Kurdistan, and also the University of Shiraz and various other universities. They tried to crush the resistance of the universities inside university campuses. They tried to crush them by armed forces. There are even footage of armed forces inside university campuses shooting tear gas and brandishing the guns and, and the pistols to the students. As a result of these images that was coming out and the call for an international support from university students in Iran, from the student movement and from the lectures, so many other academics from around the world and also students from around the world showed their support. And this support came in the form of few petitions. You mentioned one of them, one of the early ones, and it called for a support for a feminist revolution. But there were also other ones. There was another similar petition coming from German universities with all, to, if I correctly remember, 300 or 400 signatures, but these were mostly in the form of petitions. There were so many other demonstrations on university campuses and also events, talks, for example. In my own university, University of Kent, there's been few of these talks. The International Law Society formed one of them, the, the Kent Marxist Society formed another one of them. The University of SOAS last week did another one. It was a large event with panelists showing films and talking about the revolutionary movement and then discussing the role of the media in this revolutionary movement. And a similar thing was happening on every, not every, but many hundreds of university campuses that I'm aware of. There were also other initiatives. For example, there was another initiative that I was involved in called Faculty for Women Life Freedom, which released an initial statement signed by the likes of Wendy Brown, Judith Butler, Angela Davis, Walter Miniolo, Michael Hart, Slavoj Zizek, and um, Erwand Abrahamian, and so many others. This one also had about 400 signatures. It has a website as well. It's called Faculty for the Digit for WLF.com. And this initiative called for action and actually introduced itself as a network of solidarity rather than just one petition. Some of the things that this initiative said that it aims to do was to run teachings and run certain educational events about the woman life freedom movement. Another thing that they mentioned they would do was to prevent the academic presence of uh, the people who held positions inside the Islamic Republic. For example, if once again another university wants to give an honorary doctorate to an Iranian president, which has happened, by the way, in the past, this initiative would try its best to prevent giving honorary doctorate to people who have had direct responsibility in murdering and massacring the people of Iran. And there are other initiatives taking place at the moment. For example, there are another initiative in which there are up to 150 universities involved, and they are aiming to do on one day at the same time various demonstrations across the globe inside university campuses in defense of the woman life freedom 
revolutionary movement. So in a way, it wouldn't be wrong to say that this movement in Iran, the revolution of Jina, if you want to call it, has given a kind of life to so many other university campuses and university movements around the world. And there's students forming around discussing the demands of this revolution and seeing how they can help and how they can perhaps even replicate similar student movement inside their own respective countries with their own demands. So for me, it's been a very hopeful moment to see that Iranian university students and university lectures and student movement inside Iran has managed to be so active inside Iran, but also to be so active and so inspirational to so many other students and academics around the world. Dr. Kava Abbasian is a former student activist, a filmmaker, a researcher, and a lecturer in film and media practice at the University of Kent in Britain. He spoke with Shahram Agamir. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. And that's it for us this week. Voices of the Middle East and North Africa is produced at KPFA Studios in Berkeley. You can find us on Twitter at Vomina underscore radio or listen to our past shows on iTunes or SoundCloud at Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. You can also reach us by email at vominaradio at gmail.com. Please join us next week for another edition of Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, and thank you for listening.